Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have the original badass of lighting, Steve Robinson, coming in hot. That's right. We're going to talk to him in about a second. But before we do, we got to tell you about our friends, the Keep It Easy folks, Greg. Keystone Technologies. Go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H dot com. That's right. You know how they're keeping it easy today is with their XFIT vapor tight fixture. So I've done vapor tight projects in the past, and sometimes there's a lot of options. You have different lenses, you have different clips, you have different outputs. They have the different outputs. They have two, four, and eight foot in this, but they give you stainless steel clips. No yeah. reason to even ask for them. No plastic yeah. clips involved. It's stainless steel from the beginning. A nice diffused lens too. I've seen vapor tights with clear lenses. Gross. You know, I think I like a nice, smooth, diffused lens and it's two foot, four foot, eight foot, 2000 lumens up to about 12,000 lumens. So they cover it all with their vapor tights. The steel clips are so essential. Like it's it, 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 the, the, the broken clips. Come on, man. We don't want to roll like that. We want to go with those steel clips. So you, you keep it easy. Light made easy with Keystone. Go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. And of course, proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That is NAILD.org, nailed.org. That's right. Join us. And we got one of a huh, longtime member of Nailed here right now. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Steve Robinson. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Nice to be thanks here. Coming back on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I was looking I think, back. Uh, last, time I was, last time I spoke with you, we were in uh, Reno. Uh -huh. Yes. And, yeah. I, right? I listened back to it today and I was like, all right, we talked to you, but it was. Uh, in person, and it was in 2019, and it was at the Nailed Convention. So that would be probably close to two years ago. I'm get, I think it was in April of 2019. Yeah, sure. So yeah, what a different world. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say. A few things have changed since then. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 got your story in that uh, last one. We kind of went through your original, the background, and everything. So we have that. So I want to just focus a little bit on uh, a few things we talked about then. Um, and you might not remember, and I didn't until I listened to it. I remembered parts of it. But one thing that stuck out to me is um, at the time you mentioned, oh, you think that in your market, LED has been converted, maybe 25 to 35% has been done. Has that number changed since 2019? Uh, certainly. It's probably better than 50% now. In two years' time, we're... We're uh, maybe even in Massachusetts where they've been more progressive. It's probably 60 or 65 percent. Uh, Connecticut's probably still in the 50 percent range. Uh, again, it, there are certain projects and certain programs that target outside versus inside versus, you know, I think the outside has been targeted much faster. So we're probably uh, 65 percent outside and only 40 percent on the inside. You know, if you go to a typical class A office building, it's probably 35, 40%, maybe within certain buildings or 35% because as tenants come in, they, they retrofit and they put in new fixtures. But uh, certainly the outside is someplace that's that's been targeted uh, and it's probably well over 60% by now. Yeah, and I so think that's... Yeah, that's something I've noticed too in our in our areas is is you drive around and that's what you can obviously see right away is your exterior lights and you look at it and you're like, oh man, they already did it all. That's not always the case, as you mentioned. You know, they, they maybe did the exterior, but they haven't done the interior. So 
it's not all negative, but yeah, definitely the percentages have gone up. How about you, Mike, your area? So Ontario and Massachusetts are the two leading jurisdictions for LED adoption. Um, last time I checked, and that would be about a year ago or whatever. And that's, I, I think that's a, um, a DLC thing that's put out or some sort of briefing that puts out and goes by jurisdiction. And, you know, some areas are really far ahead. Um, I would say that, you know what, right now it's hot though, man, we're doing a lot of jobs. So there's still lots of fluorescence out there. However, you know what I, I did, I did a, I did a proposal the other day, customer, we had done his large facility and he had this one other facility across the street where he stored stuff that we didn't do. And I ended up calling him and we had a talk. We went over there and, you know, he had eight foot T8s and, you know, the payback was five years and it wasn't big enough to get a rebate. There's a lot of that kind of stuff out there, that smaller play, but the big buildings with the halides, the 400 watt metal halides and the thousand watt metal halides, those are mostly gone. I would say. Yeah. So. I was just given a, a, a list by a property management company and he, he, he manages courthouses and they have, uh, he gave me a list of eight places he wanted me to go by and, and listed them as all having HID still. And I was kind of surprised, but the state has been a little bit slower than, you know, uh, market rate, you know, property management companies in converting because they're probably because of the bureaucracy. And I, and I hope he's not watching, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, or my competition is watching because they're going to start going on all the courthouses. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I was surprised that this particular company had so many properties that hadn't been touched yet, but the list is, the list is the list and I believe them. So that's what, you know, we'll be heading out there to do a, you know, that's a lot what we do. We we have our own, we don't own any labor. We do a lot of turnkey project management from our energy services division. So we, you know, we go out and do the audit, put it all together, do the utility incentives. And then we bring in a contractor that suits that particular geographic or type of project. And we uh, manage the project right till completion and invoicing. So it's, but we, the major advantage I think that we push through our customers is that when it comes to warranty compared to a contractor, when we're managing a project, we automatically uh, give you the five years, you know, factory warranty. The contractors that install for us give us a one year labor warranty. So if something craps out in the first year, they're going to go back and do it for us uh, without a labor charge to us. You know, obviously the manufacturer, we try to use manufacturers that will still be there in five years. But it says, just in case, it says right on there, that if you know, it's a manufacturer's warranty that we're passing on. If they're not there, then I can't help you. Yeah. But distributors are the no. best at, the distributors are the best. I think if, 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 uh, if someone's listening to this, you're better off going direct with a distributor if you're, in, if you're thinking about a warranty. They, distributors have much better connections with lighting uh, manufacturers than contractors do. Um, you know, it's, it's a better position to be in. But let me ask you, let me ask you this, Steve. The, the labor thing is becoming an issue. And Greg and I did um, a show a couple weeks ago talking about, um, you know, bought from a premier manufacturer, uh, you know, lights, the, the facade lighting went out after a year and a half or something like that, Greg. And the customer was upset because they had to pay a large labor charge to, you know, replace, you know, a $400 light fixture. It cost them a thousand bucks a fixture or something like that to, to 
do it because they had to rent cranes, they had to bring cover power lines, shut down streets and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. How are you guys handling the customers when it comes to those those warranty issues where labor is involved? What, what, what is your position on that? Well, we've, like I said, in our official contract, it basically ha- it covers it for a year at our expense. But anything after that, it's, you know, materials only. Mm-hmm. Up to, and unless the manufacturer, unless it's a mass, you know, failure and the manufacturer ponies up for it, we're not responsible for the installation after a year's time. Have you had any catastrophic failures? Like, have you seen that? Uh, not so much on the outside, but I have them, I have had them in parking garages. We had a few mm-hmm. parking garages, not mentioning names, but, uh, they ponied up and covered the labor to go back in and change them all back out. So, uh, if it's something where you've had, you know, there's no fixed number of defectives, but if it's, uh, you know, if say 20% go out in the first three or four months, you know, I can't, I can't be dicking around with that customer for, for sure. Perpetuity, I go in and I, I get the manufacturer to get me to change them all out. I'm not, I got to make the customer right and, I'll, and I'll, I'll just go in and change them all out. Manufacturers have been good at, uh, you know, little arm twisting sometimes, but they'll, if they're, if they want your business, they'll, they'll do what's right. Have you had any of those um, jobs come from a manufacturer that's no longer around? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. Good. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really problem? had any of the manufacturers. I, the manufacturers I use, a lot of them are nailed mem- nailed members and have been nailed members or were nailed members. And the relationship goes back more than a year. You know, I mean, it's we're talking mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they've got to do what's right by the customer too. So I had a I had an interesting one that came down the pipe. It was all high base. I think it was eighty six. It was in the eighties, and the middle uh, LED uh, strip or whatever that was in the fixture went yeah. out. Okay. So it was down from three to two or whatever in this high bay. And I saw those five or six skids of fixtures come in my warehouse for free. And I thought, man, and, and the manufacturer said, I just throw out the old ones. And they sent me like it was five or six skids. And I said, what's that one for? He goes, yeah, that's for that defective job. And I thought, man, that's got to hurt actually. You know, when I when I saw yeah. that, that, that's a big, that's a lot of light fixtures, man. And I thought, geez, like that's. And I told we 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 charged the customer to install them. Uh, they had a customer didn't like that, but you know, hey, it was two or three years down the road, and hey, look, it is what it is. The manufacturer's warranty's this. This is what they're covered. And in fact, you know, the, I I didn't expect them to cover labor. I felt like they I felt like stepping up and sending us their latest model uh, fixture. I thought that was. I thought that was, I, I, I expected that from them. And I, I'm not saying that um, we should applaud people who are honest about their warranty. We should, we should expect them to honor their warranties. But man, I just like, that's got to be painful on the bottom line. And I'm wondering if that's a, uh, they're actually the direct manufacturer or are they, you know, they might have put the finger on who actually made them for them to cover that and not actually be the manufacturer themselves. There's, there's a lot of that, sure. but I don't know the specifics, but you know, they don't always just because they're a manufacturer doesn't sure. mean they're the manufacturer. This Some company was, this company was the manufacturer. They were made in Canada. So, uh, 
I knew, I, I just thought like they had to run, I, they, I know the company makes them, but I just thought, man, that's tough. That's got to be tough. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. If maybe they're pushing that over to China for their supplier in China, I would wonder how those relationships go from the, from the, like the private label crowd, you know, like people, not that that's worse. I'm okay with that. But I mean, that's gotta be a, you gotta have a really strong, like big relationship with that factory over in China mm-hmm. to be able to call them out on that, Greg. What do you think of that? That's got to be, you got to be a big player. Otherwise you're screwed, I think. Oh yeah. And that's something that I was just thinking about. You know, when we've mentioned before, when we were in China in 2014, there were thousands of manufacturers. I wonder how many there are now. I bet a lot of them have gone away. And then some of those that went away that were your, your manufacturer for your marketing company in the U S or whatever you want to call it. And now it's gone. I wonder, yeah, that that's got to be tough. And you got to have presence there. A lot of the, the, you know, higher quality manufacturers that you trust have some sort of presence there. Mm. Um, have somebody that goes there, travels. I know that now. But <laughs> Speaking of made in Canada, mm-hmm. what is up with your fixtures not being the standard grid ceiling size for yeah, US? So, yeah, so the, no, they are. So most most uh, uh, drop ceilings or trough, oh, what do you, uh, you know, um, uh, ceiling tile based ceilings are two foot by four grid. foot. But we do have metric. Yeah, there are metric fixtures and there are metric lamps. We're doing a, What's that? We're doing a building now where the only choice the customer had was to put in a retrofit kit inside the fixtures because they wanted to change the look. But they, it was a Canadian developer that built the fixtures and a, and a standard American two by four doesn't fit in the grid. It was like, I've never run into it, but we got the job. But it was like, really? We were just shocked and it was a it's a very large building and it's you know but it was a canadian developer that brought their own guys their own crew came down from canada and built this building and put the ceiling in and next you know, you know 20 years later they can't replace the fixtures they have to put a retrofit in the fixtures so canada is kind of like halfway between imperial and metric okay so if you're a contractor contractors build in inches and feet Every contractor you'll meet pulls out a tape measure and he's building in inches and feet. Okay. But kids are taught centimeters, meters, decimeters, and all this in school. And when mm-hmm. you're driving, you drive on kilometers. When you buy gas, you buy in liters. Um, mm-hmm. But, but you know, we fly in nautical miles. So it's, it, there's like all different kinds. It's like a mix mash. Canada's like half and half. You know, people still, um, still bake in cups, but not in millimeter milliliters like it's such a mix-up in canada it's it's absolutely nuts but there was a point in the 1970s and 80s where people were pushing for metric lamps and so i have about 10k if you want them if you know that customer still has pictures i got about 10 cases of f40 t12 cw metric in stock if you want them no it's yeah. just uh that's, that's the curse of thomas edison isn't it that the world will always call things by eighths of an inch in almost every lamp, right? Yeah. Whew. Uh, you you know what? Fun. Yeah, T12, 12 eighths of an inch. Like, who thought of that one? Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Sometimes yeah. I feel like a um, T12. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into, uh, here's another interesting one I ran into just yesterday and want to get, uh, if you've had experience like this too, Steve, but customer that did an LED upgrade. Actually, I shouldn't say they did. Uh, company, a customer that bought a building from the previous owner of this company that he bought the company from did an LED upgrade. And he did it right before he was selling the company. So we went with the cheapest fixture you could find. They had a little pull chain, 
you know, those shop looking lights that are all built in. And it's a welding shop, 16 foot in the air, uh, you know, 20,000 square foot, not a huge building, but good size. And people are welding and they need light. And so they have these strip lights kind of hung all over the place. And it's the worst lighting you could ever imagine. And he wants to redo it all to LED. Um, you know, I, I wonder if, have you guys seen any of that on your end or more of that coming? It, it's, uh, you know, only a few years old. There's a chance he still has a warranty. Half of it's burnt, not half, but a third of it was burnt out too. He doesn't have any clue with the manufacturers that, you know, they're probably gone or it's probably an Amazon special. Uh, so we got to go in and redo the yeah. whole damn thing. I guess that's good for you, but I don't know why he went out and spent, you know, bought a retail strip fixture and then put it in an industrial commercial application. He kind of got what he deserved, or maybe he bought the building with it like that, and now he's kind of out of luck. But uh, you know, we spend our we spend our time you know, living by the IES handbook. Uh, you know, whatever whatever we go out and look at, we. We bring the customer to show him. We bring a light meter with us. We show him where he should be relative to the uh, the handbook of, you know, you're a machine shop, you're a metal shop, you're a welder. Here's what you should have for light levels at certain task points. And, you know, if you're if you're underlit significantly, then you're, you know, I may not be able to save you energy, but let me give your guys the right kind of light to make sure that you can do the task appropriately and quickly. And you'll be surprised. I may not save you energy, but your guys will you know, do the job right and they won't have products come back because they missed a spot on that weld because they couldn't see, you know, and, you know, that's, that's the difference between how we, we operate and some of the other retrofitters out there. They don't necessarily pay attention to light levels. They just, they're, they're slash and burn, you know, mm. we'll save you a fortune in energy. Well, next thing you know, the guy's in the dark and he's calling us up to fix his problems, but he only did it a year ago. And, or he put induction lights in three years ago, and now they're at 50% of what they were in the parking lot's dark. Well, no kidding. No. I didn't sell. It was big in this around here. It was big when the uh, Small Business Energy Advantage was pushing induction seven or eight years ago. Well, it's the greatest thing in the world. I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> I'm arguing with the guy about you know whether he, we should be putting in induction, and he's pushing it to all his contractors, and I'm. I'm steadfast. I never sold a, an induction fixture. And uh, a year later, after this guy's been pushing it, we're sitting at a conference that the utility company paid for, and they brought in a guy, an LC, to teach a class on lighting. And as he's going through the different lighting sources, he gets to induction. He goes, well, when it comes to induction, don't ever put this stuff in. And, and, and I'm sitting right behind the guy who's been pushing it to all his, you know, his small business contractors. And he knows I'm sitting right behind him <laughs> and he hired to give a talk is telling exactly what I've been telling him for, you know, for two years. And he's hearing it from the guy he hired and I could go see the, the neck, his neck was turning red because, you know, he knew, he knew he wasn't right about putting in all that induction, but it was kind of like a, I didn't even rub it in too. I didn't tell him I told him so, but he knew it and I knew it. So it's kind of tall. And I'm taking out those induction fixtures left and right around here mm. because it's been a great source of business because, you know, four years later, five years later, they're they're at 50% of their original lumen output. Yeah, they're still cooking. They're still burning, but they depreciated, you know, 10% a year for five years. It's like, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do. You know, granted it was, they were pushing savings, and LEDs were too expensive five years ago, but 
you know, you, you didn't do any customers any favor by putting it in. Yeah, LED's ugly sister. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what that's what induction lighting is. This is the ugly sister of LED. Um, don't take her to the, don't take her to the prom, brother. Uh, I never sold an induction fixture yeah. fixture either. And, and what really tipped me off, I, I remember the induction crowd probably started around 2010 or something like that, maybe nine, eleven. You started to see these induction fixtures coming in. And the problem I always felt about induction is that anyone that sold induction only sold induction. And the people that didn't sell induction were like, uh, you know, I don't know about induction. How about high bay, high 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 efficiency fluorescent? It seems to be a lot cheaper, and you can replace the parts. Right. And I don't like how many you know. And and the parts are 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 manufacturer aren't manufacturer specific. So a lot of those induction fixtures, you know, the ballast would go, and you'd have to buy it from the manufacturer of the induction fixture, and that fixture that company was gone. So yeah, induction. I used to call it LED's ugly sister, but I think LED's pretty ugly too. The old stuff back in the day too is causing up yeah. the problems too now. So maybe they both, maybe neither one of them aged that well. <laughs> so <laughs> I just replaced a parking lot full of four lamp T5HO parking lot lights, hmm. which the only place, the only time I've ever seen them, but I just did a whole uh, major beverage manufacturer's parking lot. We refixtured the whole thing with LED, but we took. Are out, these on uh, poles, like the ones that are on poles? Yeah, like a four lamp THO, T5HO five bay on a pole. <laughs> there, <laughs> there's about two. I mean, they were back to back. Was, yeah, there was about five car dealerships in, in Minneapolis. They had still wall packs like that too. They had wall packs on the walls with a four lamp T5HO, you know, twelve foot mounting height. I'm like, <laughs> but I guess that's better than induction, I suppose. You know. At least you can replace the parts. I mean, they're ugly as heck. Like, there's nothing yeah. nastier oh than God. driving by, seeing a vapor-tight fixture strapped to a pole. <laughs> like, what the heck is that about? No, they weren't even vapor-tight. They were some sort of a, a, a high bay fixture, but it was a wet location listed, you know. Oh, man. And I guess, you know, they ran in cold temperatures, so we just got rid of them. Yeah. Get rid of those things, brother. How are you dealing with COVID-19? Like what's going on with that in your business? How you've been coping? Well, I think uh, we were very fortunate. You know, I, knock on wood, uh, we haven't missed a day of work uh, the whole time. Everybody came to work at my place. I've got eighteen employees, and everybody came to work. You know, we made a pact. You know, if we stick, if we all stay healthy, we all keep working. You know, and mm -hmm. and uh, it showed. We had a good. We had a better year than most, I would think, uh, because we were in the state of Connecticut, we were considered essential because we serviced the electricians who were also essential. So it, it worked out. Uh, you only had one case in the whole company and she got that while she was away and she got, she got tested when she got back and she had it. So she didn't come to work and, you know, we didn't have any cases, uh, at the office, which was great. Uh, you know, I'm, Everybody I know, there's only been a few cases of people I know that have had it. Uh, we're into the vaccination phase around here, and you know, I'm looking forward to a summer of normality. Maybe we'll see how it how it plays out. But uh, you know, we had a, a reasonably good year considering. You know, so you know that nailed work very hard with NED and Nemra to get that uh, essential listing back in March. Uh, mm -hmm. of 2020 we partnered with them right off the bat and we went 
gangbusters. We sent letters to every state let- legislature, congressman, um, senator in the United States. It was a big campaign. So, yeah, lighting lighting is essential. I mean, it, it, you know, from that perspective. But have you had a have you seen your business decline, or you did you have a great year? Or so you're you're nothing. You just kept going the whole time. Uh, we had uh, second quarter was our was our bad quarter, which you know. I think a lot of people had April, you know, April, May, June was just nobody knew what to do and nobody was really they kind of hunkered down. And, uh, you know, that was the down month, the down quarter. But other than that, we uh, we ended up above our 2019 numbers, even after 2020. So I'm, I'm think I'm fortunate. And, you know, I, I think all my employees have put in the hard work, too. You know, it's like we we worked uh, it. One of the one of the major features that we actually liked was we talked we were able to find contractors that wanted to work in in office buildings uh, and the reduction at a reduced rate because they could work without people being in their way. Mm. You know how much easier is it to do an office building when normally that building has two thousand people working there every day, but now there's eighty. We literally had a building that went from twenty six hundred people pre COVID. On a daily basis, down to 80 people working in that building. So we went in and changed out almost 6,000 fixtures in that building in two months, which would have taken four months doing second shift and working around sure. people. So we actually, you know, the contractor was you know, reduced his rate a little bit. You know, the utility company had a COVID special on incentive rates, so we knocked out that building in. Uh, that was a big play for us. We did a, t- a few of those where we were able to get into buildings that we couldn't get into before. And that was a, that was the best part about COVID was empty buildings. <laughs> yeah, is uh, as long how as are those buildings? Yeah, yeah. How are those buildings now? Have you got are people? Is it increased capacity in your market, slowly, or what are we looking at? We're slowly coming back. Uh, you know, I think. The one building that I'm mentioning now, we've just finished the project and, and uh, one tenant has four or five floors. They're scheduled to come back June 1st. That's their tentative schedule to come back. Uh, that's typical of a lot of the places. Uh, there's still some that are just, you know, I'm glad I don't own an office building. You know, mm. yeah. it's, it's a it's a different it's a different world right now than mm-hmm. what they're used to. And, you know, I've been a big BOMA member for. 25 years I've been in BOMA and, you know, I listened to my BOMA members and they're not quite sure what to do yet because they don't know which tenants are coming back, which tenants are taking this less space. Uh, you know, they're fortunate that some of them have long-term leases and they, you know, they're getting paid, but there's nobody there. You know, uh, in one of our projects, the uh, cleaning company agreed to clean up after us for free. Because they were getting paid anyway, and they weren't doing anything, so they agreed to clean up after my lighting crew, <laughs> and the lighting crew was happy because he didn't have to do it. So sure. it worked out pretty well. Sure. But they felt so bad because they've been working for eight months getting paid. So I feel like there's a a pendulum swing happening right now. Like I I follow some interesting news sources that are worldwide, and it's it's interesting to look at things from a global perspective. Right. So you see that different areas of the world, you know, for example, the less the the there's weird correlations between things like the less strict the lockdown, 
the like in some countries translated to lower deaths. So it's all sorts of weird stuff is happening right now in the science behind this. And you're starting to see a swing in the pendulum away from these measures. Now, Canada is probably going to be the last place because I think we're the worst lead country in the world and the worst lead province and the worst lead city. So I'm probably in one of the worst spots that you could find in terms of vaccination rollout, in terms of all manner of crazy restrictions. But I think what we're seeing is is a is a societal move from this side and kind of trying to come back over to here, and I think it's going to gain momentum as we as we move forward uh, as the U.S. becomes more vaccinated and these things start to roll out across the board. So I think letting distributors should prepare for that. But in light of all that, have you done anything with UVC technology, Steve? Have you dived into that at all? Have you have you done anything? I've really only sold uh, half a dozen fixtures. For instance, we did a a volleyball club. They finally let them go back to play volleyball. So I sold them a bunch of portable UVCs for their volleyball room where they would, you know, after practice, they would would stagger their practices. So they would stack all their balls in the UVC room and then an hour later, pull them back out and play volleyball again. That was, I really haven't done a whole lot. None of my, BOMA type customers have really gone down that road yet. Uh, it's kind of funny that I'm uh, tenant in my own building has started a company that was specifically designed for. Uh, no, in fact, you can say it. He, he does a UVC that's that doesn't that's friendly to your skin. And instead of being Purell stations all over the world, it's going to be uh, put your hands in a uh, almost like a hand dryer, and that sterilizes them. And hospitals and buildings that's coming along the way pretty soon. We didn't break his patent, or yeah. <laughs> but he, he actually is in my building, and that's what he did. He, he pivoted from a, a hospitality product line that he's that he sold, and he pivoted from that right away and got into UV protection for you know, started a new business and just now entering the market. People like that have seen opportunity where most people had gloom and doom. He actually had, saw it as an opportunity. I, ha, I know that even amongst our nailed members, I was I did hear that some of them have done significant business in the UVC. I just mm-hmm. haven't really gotten into it. I think it's I, 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 what I, there's like an exp- when these things explode. What happens is there's some fallout, and then there's something left at the end uh, from it. And I think there's going to be a significant market for active and passive air disinfection. Um, and then pockets of surface disinfection left over after, you know, things settle. Like, for example, I, I don't like the idea of surface disinfection, even if they say it doesn't hurt your skin, you know, or whatever. I, I'm very, I think most people are very wary about that. But in an airport bathroom stall, I think that's a great idea, actually. You know, I think most people would support that application. Yeah. Of that type, so there's all manner of applications out there that need to be developed by this industry. Uh, train stations, uh, subway stations, these places need should have very simple. There's all kind of air movement in a train station, natural air movement, um, and in subway stations, there's all kind of natural. The, the air is circulating very quickly. There'd be very, it'd be very easy to put in UVC disinfection, passive disinfection, all over the place in those types of 
environments where people are congregating in massive amounts of people. The air moves like crazy in those areas. So you don't need active air disinfection. You could simply go passive. So I think there's, there's going to be a leftover of a lot of environments that are real UVC applications. Um, and, uh, you know, the active for the offices, I think they need to add um, an element of theater to it, hygiene theater, where if you're going to do uh, your two by fours with an active UVC disinfection, it needs to tell people that it's doing that. I think that would be very, very helpful. Um, you know, in the sales and the acceptance of it. Oh, what's happening in this office building? Oh, yeah, one in every four troffers is an active UVC disinfection system, which kills germs and pathogens and whatever. I think that would be very, very wise for the industry to have a indicator on those fixtures that it's doing that. And it, I think it would help with if we can contribute in some way to um, people wanting to go back to, there's going to be people that are scared. Like, quite frankly, there's people that are scared out of their minds of COVID-19. And some of them, I think, to a point of derangement, but other people that are just, you know, naturally, you know, a little more fearful than others. And we need, we can, we can cater to those people with a little hygiene theater. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be really wise if manufacturers did that, Steve. Have you uh, run across a manufacturer that has marketed a fixture that, you know, because for me, if you're putting UVC inside of a standard trough or you've got a, a, a be labeled it, label it that way, but also have some fail safe way of somebody not walking under it or camping under it. Whether you no, it's not surface. It, it's it's not, not surface disinfection. Um, so there's two types of disinfection. One is surfaces with cleaning, cleaning disinfection. Air, so they, it sucks the air over top of a UVC. Uh, we're going to call it a filament, but it's not a filament. Whatever, an LED array that has a certain nanometers that kills any of the pathogens in the air and then recirculates that air back into the room. That's that's an active air disinfection. So I, there's no there's nothing there's no exposure to UVC for the occupants. Um, it's simply cleaning the air, and most of these viruses are are transmitted through the air. Uh, COVID nineteen is an aerosol virus uh, or SARS-CoV-2, I think is what it would be technically be called. SARS-CoV-2 is an aerosol. It's transmitted in the air through water droplets in the air. So if that COVID-19 is sucked across this UVC or is blown across because the air is naturally moving like crazy, the UVC will kill it all instantly. So um, that I think that I think we can contribute as an industry. And I'd like to see, you know, uh, uh, the manufacturers and I know uh, we have several that, you know, are in nailed that are doing this, but I think we need more theater and people make fun of me, Steve. They say, what are you talking about? It doesn't work, but you pretend it does. No, what I'm saying is if it's doing something, let's transmit that to the occupants. And that would be a great sales avenue for us, Steve. Like if you could go to your customer in that office building and say, yeah, and while we're retrofitting, we're going to add one in every four troffers is going to be an active air disinfection system for the building. And it's going to say that it's doing it at the same time. I think you, I think I could sell on that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking from a, from a property management standpoint, are they going to, what does that fixture cost relative to the other three troffers that don't have it? You know what I mean? It, and what happens when COVID goes away, they, they kind of look at it. Okay. I spent you know, $500 on one, on a fixture that, doesn't even have a purpose anymore, you know, and that's kind of 
will it always be a, a need for it somewhere down the road when COVID-22 comes in? You know, who knows? I don't know. I'm hoping Don't that. say that. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm certainly hoping not. I mean, it's the first Damn. time I haven't been in a nice warm place to play golf in, in the winter. I'm like, I'm so tired of winter right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. One uh, other item we talked about back in 2019, Steve, is, is rebates. You said, I think th- I heard recently, this was in 2019, you said, I heard recently they got three more years left. This is two years later. Where are we at in rebates in your market? Is it going away in a year? Going longer? What do we got? Well, uh, there is a contract in, in just Connecticut that has uh, through the end of 2021, and then everything's up for negotiation. Uh, you know, do I think that the prices have come down enough to reduce the, the dollar values of the incentives? Probably. I don't think they're going to completely go away. It's like anybody else when you have this pool of money that gets taken off. You know, in our area, I'm sure it's probably the same in your area. Everybody pays an electric bill, pays into a fund. And that fund is turned around and made into incentive programs. You know, it's the uh, conservation charge on your electric bill. So. Uh, much like uh, municipals, when they have a revenue stream, they'll find a way to keep that money coming in. With uh, utilities, we've been in public utility regulatory authority or the Department of Environmental Protection. All these people have are used to this fund, and they're going to find a way to keep that fund coming in and distribute it. You know, so one of the things we're trying to actually do is we're we're getting into electrical vehicle charging stations. Mm-hmm. We're trying to develop a division that will. I have 3,000 customers. They're all going to want EV charging stations. Why should they go somewhere else? Sure. That, that to me, and in Massachusetts, they've had an incentive where the utility pays the infrastructure. The customer has to pay for the charging station and install it. But the infrastructure can be twenty to $30,000 per setup. And you got to bring the 240 volt from the building out, pour a pad, you know, and then by the charging station. Sometimes it's you need to upgrade the switch prices. gear. Sometimes you need to upgrade the switch gear to like uh, right. okay. charging cars. It can be more than the actual total. If you had, if you did every parking, a parking garage full of chargers, you'd have a greater load than the occupants in the building. If you plugged all those cards okay. in. Well, so, we're just uh, constantly looking for other uh, yeah. revenue streams as well as uh, opportunities. Yeah, so sure. In Connecticut, it's a big part of what what they're talking about pouring money into, you know, quadrupling the size of the uh, the numbers of electrical vehicle charging stations within the state in the next five years. So, I call them I call them Bob and Rude programs. Um, the way they fund it, so it's like opposite of Robin Hood. You rob from the poor and give to the rich, um, because they they basically take these incentives and they spread it out on their rate base, right? So everybody's, everybody's paying for it. One of the things that I find interesting is that if, if the rate payers were actually told where like that, like for example, last month, the electricity in Ontario is at a historical low. Okay. So people say energy rates are going up. The actual cost of electricity is the lowest it's been in, in a long time in Ontario, but then 95% of the bill is taxes. So if you look at the cost of electricity, it's only 5% of the bill. And then 95% of the bill is taxes and rebate programs. No kidding. Well, like, that's crazy, in, dude. In Connecticut, it's 
in Connecticut, it's distribution charge. You know, the uh, the cost of getting the power to you is double what the cost of buying the electricity is, hmm. and that's just recent too. And they, and then people's electric bills were going up forty percent. You know, all of a sudden, and it was like sticker shock. You know, uh, so it was actually good for in some cases for our business to be able to cut that amount of electric bill, not for the kilowatt hour savings, but for the distribution savings. Hmm. Big in, in this area. Well, I'm happy that they can keep doing it. That's not. I'm not wearing that hat right now. I'm not wearing electricity rate payer uh, advocate hat. I'm wearing lighting company that sells on rebates hat. So keep it rolling, folks. Greg, right. <laughs> keep the party going. That's right. Let's roll. Uh, um, in your area, Greg, what are rebates doing? Uh, they're staying steady, at least from last year. And, and I actually was on a call yesterday um, with the Minnesota state senate i don't even know who all was on it a big zoom call where i had to give a little statement about how sip programs uh whatever sip stand incentive program customer incentive i don't know what it stands for something like that sip utility rebate programs and how they affect my business and so i did a little statement on a zoom call yesterday so um they were looking at reducing or eliminating they were looking at a bill that did that um i don't think it'll pass but it was something that's talked about so i think they're looking at a renewal period for it right now don't say bob and rude off to get a grip on lighting podcast <laughs> i won't it's all positive on that one yeah, so, yeah. trademark name there mike bob and rude program brother steve thanks for being a guest that uh, you know what i forgot to say the great company is watt saver lighting out of connecticut that's right steve robinson thank you for being a guest on the show always a pleasure mike no problem Greg. Nice to see yeah, you again. We're going to do a convention this year? We want to. We're trying to figure out logistics is a tough part. part. You know, no, I, no, I mean, everything's I can't in even August cross the border. Right like, so I like I I can't even cross the border. So Canada's border is shut uh, unless, you know, unless, I don't know, unless you're you're shipping something. But they can't ship me in a tractor trailer. I wish they could. Um, but, I mean, we we've pulled the members. Like, we could pull one off pretty quick. But August to, uh, to to December is completely packed with lighting events. Like it's completely packed and they're committed, man. Those right. like Legication is committed. Light Fair is committed. They want to roll it. So could we do something in June? Uh, I'd, we would love to, man. Leon, we would really love to. Yeah. So it's we're still fingers crossed. That's where we're at. Well, I'd be there. Me no, too, if I could. I missed one in. 25 years or so. so yeah. I'd be there if there's going to be one. I appreciate try. that. It's just hard for me to be virtual. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know what? I mean, I think everybody's ready for this virtual stuff to end. You know, I read an article just, just, a, and then we'll close it here, Greg. Don't worry. Uh, that people are, ha what, what do they call it? There's a name for it. Skin. Um, it's like, uh, suffering from lack of human touch. Like this is a disease. Yeah. And, you know, like that tap that, you know, I come in your office, Steve, and I give on your shoulder and I tap you. Yeah. And hey, Steve, what's happening? Or we give each other a high five and a quick hug or whatever. That releases serotonin in your brain. That releases serotonin in your brain. Okay. And then when we meet and we don't do that, it has a negative impact. It's not benign. 
I can't think the last time I shook anybody's hand. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm a handshaker, you know, it's what I do. And I'm like, knuckle bumps, elbow bumps, kick your feet together. I don't know. It's getting old. Yeah. So they know yeah. they, there's an article in The Economist this week on touch. You can read it. And it talks about how those interactions make people healthy. They release chemicals and hormones and all sorts of stuff. We got to go back to it. But before we get into that, that's not for the Get a Grip on Lightning podcast, Greggy. We got to talk about K E Y S T O N E T E C H dot com, Greggy Keystone Tech dot com. That's right. They're K, they're X Fit Vapor Tight fixtures, two foot, four foot, eight foot, 2,000 to 11,000 lumens, all the Kelvins you need, zero to 10 volt dimming. Low optical flicker, it even says. That's nice. And not a lot of people point that out, but they do. And smooth diffuse lens. And to top it off, stainless steel clips. Come on. Come on. Get those stainless steel clips on there. That's the way to do it. Light made easy from the Retrovic Kings. That's right. K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. Of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's N-A-I-L-D.org. Yeah, we want a convention. Steve's still sitting there. He wants to go to a convention. Let's open this thing up and let rip. I'm ready to roll, man. And I haven't played golf in 15 years, but if if I see you at a convention, I'm following you in a golf cart, Steve Robinson. I promise you 100% for sure I'm driving behind you. Folks, Steve, thanks for coming on the show. And folks, thanks for listening. Thanks Thanks for having me, guys. Nice talking. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, Lord is there to find you.